Deconstruction can be a really difficult process. Usually it just starts with a few innocent questions or a few things that bother us about what we have always believed. Then searching for those answers leads us to more questions, which then leads to more questions, and then that opens Pandora's box, and before you know it, you are sliding down the proverbial slippery slope faster than the speed of light. But there is no going back now. For many, it causes a complete disruption of any spiritual practice and they just kind of find themselves in a spiritual limbo. Going to church like they used to is either too painful or it makes them feel inauthentic. But then there are many who actually work at a church and they're deconstructing at the same time. The anxiety that that produces can be really difficult because it's like if anybody really knew what you thought or the things you were questioning, you probably would lose your job. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual But Rather Uncertain. As we get into this today, I just want to make you aware that I have added extra content that is available on my Patreon page and not on the regular podcast. I'll talk more about it later in this podcast, so be sure to listen right to the end. This part of my story goes back to 1996. I was still working in Youth for Christ here in Durban. It was at the beginning of my very long journey with deconstruction, and it left me with a fair amount of uncertainty, although at the time I didn't realize that it was my deconstruction that was the source of all this. I just felt stuck on a spiritual level. Spiritual practices that used to have meaning to me had just lost their meaning. So I had a conversation with my pastor at that time, Andy Luke, and he told me about his own journey with a more contemplative faith. It was all pretty radical coming from a Baptist pastor, but he suggested I go on a 24-hour silent retreat. And he explained to me what that meant. So 24 hours with no agenda, no plan, no talking to anybody. You can walk or you can sleep or you can read your Bible, but there's no agenda. It's just about being silent. He told me about a Catholic retreat center that I could go to, and he even actually paid for it. Those 24 hours were life-changing for me. Since that time, I've been on many silent retreats and even led them from time to time. And there was a period of three or four years that I went pretty much every month by myself to spend 24 hours in silence. Many years later, I read a book called The Sacred Enneagram by Christopher Hewitts, only to find out that as an Enneagram 7, Silence is about the best thing I could do. See, I love noise. All sevens do. My mind runs a million miles a minute all the time, and silence forces me to slow my brain down and to be present in the moment. In fact, the sacred Enneagram teaches us how each number on the Enneagram can benefit from contemplative practices. 
In his book, the Enneagram becomes more than just a personality study, and it becomes a guide for spirituality. It's a guide to a more contemplative faith. So along my slow journey of deconstruction has come a slow journey with contemplation. I find it a little discouraging that after such a long time, I'm such a beginner in all of this, but I am. So as a beginner, let me share with you a little of what I have learned and what I am learning along the way. At the core of a more contemplative faith are three things, silence, solitude, and stillness. While in some ways they all sound like they're the same thing, but they're really three different nuances of contemplation. Silence is about stopping the noise. Television, our phones, social media all create noise in our heads, so much so that it makes it incredibly difficult to listen. We sit down for one minute and our phone vibrates with a new text message or a phone call or a Facebook notification or an announcement that our favorite TV show is starting. We just have noise, noise, noise. Silence is about turning off the noise, and when we do, we start to learn how to listen. To listen to both the voice of God as well as the voices of those around us who speak loving words of correction or affirmation. Silence teaches us to discern the truth from the lies. Solitude is about being alone. Now, for some, that thought is absolutely frightening, but for others, it's the thing you actually long for. Because the truth is, most of us are surrounded by people all the time. During the day, it's the work colleagues, and then we come home, and it's our kids or our spouse, and it's hard to be alone. We've all heard of moms, maybe you are one, who run to the bathroom just to have a couple of minutes to be alone. Alone time is important. It helps us to be present to ourselves and ultimately to those we love. Being alone in solitude helps us to understand the importance of the people in our lives. Stillness is about stopping all activity. My granddaughter plays this little stop-and-go game with us. If you're walking, she jumps in front of you, and she puts up her hand, and she'll say, Stop! And you have to be perfectly still. And then when she puts her hands down and says, Go, you can start moving again. Stillness is about stopping. Stopping even the good things, even the important things. It's just ceasing to do, ceasing to return that phone call or the comment on Facebook post or ceasing to respond to that text. Just stop. We live with this constant pressure to do, to produce, 
to create. And it keeps us from understanding our true selves and from hearing the voice of God. Often when you talk about silence and stillness and solitude, people push back. And I used to be really sympathetic towards that because I really didn't think that this kind of faith was for everybody. But I think differently now. I think that every one of us can benefit from finding ways to practice a more contemplative faith. In the Sacred Enneagram, Christopher Hewitt connects each one of these three things, silence, solitude, and stillness, to one of the Enneagram intelligence centers that we spoke about last time. If you missed that podcast, you can go back and check it out, or you can just hang with me for a few minutes here. You'll remember, if you're an eight or a nine or a one on the Enneagram, you're in that instinct triad. Eights, nines, and ones are doers. They get things done. Eights have this really driving energy. Nines are always working to mediate and bring peace. And ones are looking to reform the whole world. For those in this instinct triad, you just need to stop, to practice stillness, to stop doing. If you are a two or a three or a four on the Enneagram, you are in the heart triad. You process the world through how things feel, and especially related to the people around you. You have a real need for connection and for approval. So for you, solitude is critical. It's a time to quit listening to the critics or comparing yourself to everybody else. It's a time just to listen to the voice of God who doesn't criticize, who doesn't compare, but only loves. And finally, if you are a five or a six or a seven like me, then silence is the order of the day. Turn off the noise in your head. Stop talking. Stop listening to podcasts. Stop reading books. Silence the noise just for a little while. These three things, silence, solitude, and stillness, have been life-changing for me. I've given up on the ideal of traditional quiet time just because they don't help me that much. My faith has become much more contemplative. And so I want to talk about a few of the practices that have helped me on this journey. Earlier, I spoke about retreating, which was a crucial part of my faith journey a number of years ago. It was important because it was the only way I could create silent solitude and stillness in my life. I had kids at home, and the church where I worked was literally five meters from the back door of my house. In fact, it was so close that after I led worship on a Sunday morning in church with a wireless in-ear pack, I could go home, 
make a cup of coffee, check the cricket score, still hear the sermon in my in-ear pack so that I could get back for the closing song. Nowadays, my life is way simpler than it used to be, and I can find big chunks of silence right here at home, so retreating doesn't play a part like it used to for me. But certainly in that time, it was a critical part of my faith. I still highly recommend retreating if you can do it. Find a place where you can go without a plan, without an agenda, without work to do, and just be still in solitude and silence for 24 hours. Go on walks, take a nap, read your Bible, meditate, whatever works, just to be still. If you're interested in the retreating idea, get in touch with me and I can give you more directions on that. Another really important part of my contemplative practice is reflection. It's about being alone for a few minutes and in the stillness and in the silence to reflect on my day or on my week. For me, there's a few basic elements of my reflection. The first is always gratitude. I can't express enough the importance of this, and you probably all heard the studies around the positive influence of gratitude in our lives. Spend time reflecting on all that you have been given, especially if you're in a season where life is difficult. Be grateful for what you have. Secondly, at least for me, reflection is about asking why. Why did I act like that? Why do I feel the way that I feel? What's really going on inside of me at the, at the core of who I am? Way too often we just keep moving through our lives without taking time to ask these kinds of questions without ever taking time to see what is really going on. And as a result, we just keep doing the things that we've done before in the same way, and we just keep getting the same results. Then the third part of a time of reflection for me is always looking to what's next. Where to from here? Is there something I need to be doing? Is there something I need to stop doing? Is there some change that needs to be happening? What's next? This isn't a formula, nor is it like I have to do each of these things every time I sit down. But reflection as a practice can be incredibly life-giving. I usually journal in my times of reflection so I can go back and read what I've written. In fact, sometimes my reflection times are just going back and seeing what I've written before. Retreating and reflection are practices I've been involved with for quite a while now. But in more recent days, I have found two other meditative practices that have proven to be quite helpful mindful meditation, and Lectio Divina. A few years ago, my friend Christine Van Straten introduced me to Lectio Divina, 
which is a Latin term that means divine reading. It's an ancient monastic practice of prayer that dates back as far as the sixth century. Sometimes it's called listening prayer because you don't really talk much, mostly you just listen. It's really a form of prayerful meditation that uses scripture as its focus. Let's see how it's something you can do completely on your own or can be guided in a group. I find that being guided through a Letzio prayer is much more helpful than just trying to do it on my own. Probably has something to do with my personality and how easily distracted I am. I've mentioned the idea of mindful meditation before in some podcasts. My first experience with meditation was a very long time ago before I ever came to South Africa. My friend Brian Benjamin had just qualified as a counselor. At that time, I was struggling to deal with stress, and he told me to come to his office because he could help me. So I sat down in a chair, and he put on some gentle music, and he guided me through a meditative process. I went back a number of times because it was really helpful. More recently, I've discovered some apps like Calm or Headspace that did exactly the same thing, although once the free version runs out, you have to pay $60 or $70 to keep going. But I have found these guided meditations an important part of my spiritual journey in recent days. There are a lot of studies out there about the power of meditation. It's proven to reduce anxiety and stress and to help with sleep. For me, it helps me to be aware of God's presence in and around me. It helps me to slow down and to be present in the moment. Recently, my son Jordan encouraged me to record some meditations that I put online for our Patreon community. I thought it was a brilliant idea, so I got to work on it and also decided to record some guided Letzio Divina meditations online as well. So, here comes the shameless advert. If you go to my Patreon page, there's a guided meditation and a Letzio Divina that everybody is welcome to engage with. You don't even have to join Patreon. However, if you become a part of the Patreon community for as little as a dollar a month, there are more meditations and Letzios, and I will continue to update those regularly. I've also been working on meditations that are based on your particular Enneagram type, and those will be up as well in the near future. The meditations are similar to what you might find on the paid apps, with a, just a little bit more of a Christian bent to them. The Letzio Divinas use some of my favorite scriptures to reflect and to meditate on. If you download the Patreon app on your phone, you can engage with them just like you do the other meditation apps that you pay big money for. So just go to patreon.com forward slash Skip Collins. Check it all out. The link will be in the notes below. My point is this. 
that if you're in the midst of deconstructing your faith and you are looking for more meaningful spiritual practices or if your current spiritual practices are just getting stale, then I would suggest you consider some contemplative spiritual practices. Silence, solitude, stillness, and see if it makes a difference. Okay, that's all I've got for today. I hope this is helpful for you and that you will engage in a more contemplative faith in whichever form works for you. So until next time, Shalom. Shalom.